Well, today, you don't get Pastor Ross. I'm very sorry if you're not normally with us. Um, our campus pastor just got married yesterday. Yes, praise the Lord. So we're very excited. We're praying for him and his wife, Kelsey, as they go off. They start the next chapter today. Uh, I, I'm excited to dive in. If you're new to Life Church, here we believe in expository preaching, which means that we let the Bible set our diet. We follow chapter by chapter, line by line, and we've been working our way through First and Second Samuel as we talk about David, one of the most famous biblical figures just under Jesus. Um, and so we're, I'm very excited to dive in today with chapter 5. It's going to be a great great opportunity, and um, I'm really just blessed and honored to be here with you guys. So um, before we jump into it, though, you, if you want to go ahead and bookmark your Bibles, we're, we're picking up in chapter 5. Um, but I'm, I'm thinking of our seniors, and as we send them off, and I think at some point every time we see a wave of seniors graduate, we kind of see ourselves in our senior years. Maybe that's just me. But I think about senior year James, and senior year James did not have nearly as much drive as these kids. Um, senior year James did not know what he wanted to do. I was very curious. I still am. I like learning. I like exploring things. Um, but but I, I did not know where I wanted to do. I applied to college as a classics major. Um, which is the study of Greek and like Roman history, culture, whatever. Not a whole lot you can do with that degree, right, Dad? <laughs> yeah, sorry. But I didn't go, so, so I did end up switching my major once, twice, maybe three times. Um, and the story of how I went from that to a next-gen pastor's is a little bit complicated, and, and we're not going to get into the whole thing today. But um, one thing has not changed, and it is that I, I, I very much despise resumes. Anybody else like to write resumes? Yeah, I didn't think so. Nobody does. Resumes are, are, personally, I don't like talking about myself in great lengths, especially when I'm trying to sound professional. And one of the things I value is being very authentic. I try my hardest. So when you're young and you don't have a whole lot of experience, but you're trying to look like you're a professional, um, you start doing weird things like throwing in words that you never use in everyday conversation, like I spearheaded a program, or I pioneered and engineered this innovation routine of brushing my teeth in the morning. I don't know. So my point is, like, you, you kind of puff yourself up a little bit, um, and, and at least I try to. There are also some things that I think on a resume, because you, you try to present your experience in the best aspects, but there are also some things that I think we try to avoid about our experiences, right? There are some hard lessons, embarrassing lessons that along the way we've picked up, and they're important for us, um, but, but we don't necessarily plead with that, especially when we're asking somebody to give us a job. Um, so one example is I, in, in college, I did a lot of a cappella music. You might not know what that means. I was part of an all-male a cappella group. Uh, it's called Out of the Doghouse. Yeah. Oh, we were the Butler Bulldogs, so it made a little bit more sense. Um, but it, it, was, it was fun. I enjoyed it. It was like my source of fellowship and brotherhood. But, but it, was, it was a time. There were some weird experimental phases that I went through that. Um, I had a, a, a horrible haircut that my wife lovingly referred to as my broccoli period. Uh, do you have that picture? Yeah. <laughs> That's it right there. That was a time, man. After that, I started shaving my own head by myself. But that was a college $5 haircut, so I took it. 
And that was my roommate, Neil. In fact, it was interesting. With the group, we had something um, that we used. We did a lot of great things. So we did concerts. We, we raised our own money. We did fundraisers, things like that, performed and, and various things. Uh, we, we did a national anthem at the Pacers Conference, whatever. Um, but one of the things was that we funded ourselves independently, and so we had something called a slush fund. And if you don't know what a slush fund is, <laughs> I didn't. I looked it up far too late, and, and it is discretionary funds used for illegal or illicit activities, specifically bribery. I thought it was for slushies. <laughs> and so I, I, I was stepping into the role, and I was talking with an advisor about our money, and they said, you know, you have to put that in the school. And I went, yes, that is why we're doing that today. Here you go. And then I, I, I walked away. But my point is, if I go into a job interview, uh, I'm not leading with my slush fund story, <laughs> right? It's not a great look, especially somebody who wants to work as, with kids as, as a past teacher. Like, that's just not, that's not how I go. And so I bring that up. Today, we're talking a little bit about David's resume, actually. Up until this point in First and Second Samuel, we've been following very linearly cause and effect. David goes off, he kills Goliath, Saul gets angry, Saul chases David, David runs away, and so on and so forth. This part in, in chapter 5, we're, we're, we're kind of changing. So there's a shift in how they organize it. it it's going to focus a lot on kind of his big events. So in the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk a lot about his victories. And then there's going to be a shift where we, we hear some of the messy stuff going on in David's life, because David's not perfect. But it's not so much that things happen one after the other. And, and if we're not careful, it starts to get pretty confusing. So one of the things that helps us keep track of that is by looking at the big picture, the events that are shaping David's life. And so there are three big picture things we're going to look at today that we're going to see that we know that God is going to do. Um, and we're just going to see how he works them out in David's life. Right? The first big picture thing is we know that David is going to be king over all of Israel. Second big picture thing is that David is going to reign from a city called Jerusalem, known as the city of David. And the third thing is that David is going to be followed by his son Solomon on the throne. Now Solomon is an author of several books in the Bible, but he's also very famous, even across non-Christian spheres, as someone that is, uh, demonstrates great wisdom, integrity, and discernment. Right? But he doesn't start that way. When we come into chapter 5, there are a couple of big red flags with each of these things. And uh, I, I, the irony, the fact that our list of red flags is in blue is not lost on me. Um, but these are red flags that we, we got to resolve before we get to where we're going. So the first one is that David is king, but he's king over Judah. So there's one of 11 tribes, and they've been at war for a long time, the Bible says. Um, David has been trying to fight against Saul's son to claim the throne. If you remember from the last chapter, we talked about how David, uh, David's enemy, Saul's son, was murdered. Not in a way that was honoring, and so David mourned him. Um, but that brings us into today's chapter. So we're coming in during wartime. There's tension in the air, and everyone's looking around to see, hey, who's going to lead us next? So that's the big red flag. The second one comes with kind of a good news, bad news situation. So the good news is that there's already a city called Jerusalem. It's built. And in fact, it's a really good stronghold and fortress. It is placed on top of a hill, which already makes it superior to the cities around it. Because anytime you're fighting, you want to have the high ground. 
It's a lot easier to run down the hill than trying to fight back up it. So they've got that going. The second thing about Jerusalem is that there's a giant city wall around it, and it's a pretty formidable wall. It's pretty strong. David can't get through it, like, straight on, and he knows that. Um, So he's going to have to try and figure something out. Normally what you would do is you would lay siege. So you would set up all your camps around the outside parts of the wall and block off any of their water, their food, and supplies like that. The issue with doing that to Jerusalem is that they have their own internal source of water. So they can last a pretty long time. And we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like, but they are confident and they know it. The issue with the Jerusalem, the bad news, is there are the people called Jebusites who who are currently inhabiting it. So David's going to have to go out and clear them out. They are the cousins of the Philistines, the Malachites, all the other enemyites that are teaming up against the Israelites. So, So they know David's coming, and they are not afraid because of their walls. So David's got to be pretty smart. And the last thing that we're going to see, just a quick seed of it, is that Solomon hasn't been born yet. That's kind of the last problem that we're going to face. And we're not going to hear too much about him, but we're going to see the seeds that, that take root that are going to allow Solomon to be the one to be the next king. Okay? So before we dive right in, would you go ahead and uh, just join me in a quick word of prayer as we learn more about what God has for us today? God, I just thank you so much for the day. I thank you so much for the victories that you've already proclaimed. And so we pray that as we read more, as we learn, that you would just reveal yourself to us, that you would help us to understand more about your nature in our lives and your purpose for our design. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. All righty. So let's pick up right at the beginning of chapter 5. It says, All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, We are your own flesh and blood. Verse 2, In the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, You will shepherd my people Israel, and you will become their ruler. When all the elders of Israel had come to King David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them at Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. And just like that, the story's over. Kind of, right? So we've already got the first flag out of the way. David is king over Israel. And it happens pretty fast in here, but, but we got to slow down for a second because <laughs> there's a lot that's happening. When these elders meet with David, this is not peaceful negotiations, right? Remembering they were just through war. There's been a lot of bloodshed. Brothers, uncles, brother, I said brothers, fathers, sons. There's been a lot of deaths on both sides. And so people are coming into this meeting hungry, um, hungry for revenge a little bit, right? We saw that play out in the last chapter, what happened, and we know that wasn't part of God's plan. And so when they come in together, they, there's an element of forgiveness, right? That, that they are laying some of that pain and that weight down in order for reconciliation. There's also an important note of submission, Not to David. The reason that they come to David, sure, they know him as this big heroic figure. And I'm sure politically there there are many of the generals that worked alongside of David. But the reason they come to David and ask him to reign is because the Lord said to him, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. Which means that the people aren't submitting to David, they're submitting back to God. 
And that's a really important step for Israel. We're going to talk about David's victories. We're going to talk about his great leadership. But the way that he's winning is not because he's God's special anointed. It's because God is rewarding the faith in the nation of Israel, a whole group of people that were just in civil war for coming together. And it didn't start with the elders, right? Because you, if you read the first verse, all the tribes of Israel came to David and then the elders came before and met with him. So there was a little bit of a tension where the people are, are pushing for unity and the elders are the one holding them back. Why? Because of that frustration, because of that pain. And they have to wrestle that out before they're able to come together. But the people are strong and the people hold true to what they know. How much more for our nation today? I think it's safe to say, you go into any school board meeting, whatever, we all pray one nation under God, but how often do we live that out? And so we really need to, to as, as a body of believers, do our diligence. We don't have control over every elder in our path. We don't have control over every leader, but what we have control of is where we put our faith and the decisions we make and, and the people that we fight for. So that's, that's critically important. And so we're going to see we're going to see David's success, and we'll see the success of Israel. Now, I want to talk to my seniors just for a second, you guys. Hey, where's I hope? So the next part of this is talking about David's anointing. And you guys know David was anointed at a really young age, probably closest to some of our high schoolers in the room right now. And it wasn't just, when we talk about anointing, it's not like a mumbo-jumbo, like he spoke his way into existence. No, God spoke to him, a very clear message, okay? And, and so he lived his whole life knowing that he's going to be the king of Israel. Now, you guys might have a plan right now, and that's wonderful. I'll be honest with you. When I was in college, my, like, three- to five-year plan changed almost every single year on the dot because God had a whole lot of better things than, than I could think of. And so if you don't have a clear sense of what your anointing is, that's okay. To some extent, we all share the same anointing. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And we all have the same mission to, to spread the good news to people. The way we do that may be unique, and we have certain details that are specific to you guys, to each one of us in this room. But at the heart of it, you already know what to do. You just got to figure out the how and why. And so what I want to encourage you guys with is when we look at David, who already knew in concrete what he was supposed to do, it took him a, a hot second uh, David, in verse 4, David was 30 years old when he became king. He was 30. And he reigned for 40 years. So it took David a second to get to his fulfillment. And so if you're feeling that stress and that pressure, it's okay. I think there are a lot of us in this room that, that we are either going through that season of waiting or you've lived enough seasons that you're, you're on the other side of it and you can testify to it. But, but there is a, a tension of, of the not yet and waiting for that time. David had to go through a season of the wilderness where he was growing, where he was being prepared, where he was being trained. But I think also something we don't hear and, and, and feel as much is the pain of when we think God said yes, and we walk in faith, and then we look around and suddenly it feels like the house comes crashing down on us. And we say, God, why'd you leave me here? But God's not done with us. You know, sometimes... We have to take a post. We have to take a stance. We have to do something that it didn't feel like where we were supposed to go. It's not necessarily the end of it, but, but it's where God's calling us to be in that moment. In verse 5, it's interesting because David starts his reign 
in Judah. And it recognizes it here as his fulfillment of God's anointing. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months. And in Jerusalem, he reigned over all Israel and Judah 33 years. So his fulfillment as king of Israel didn't start because these guys all agreed, hey, you're in the new king. It started when he was walking out of faith. It started when he was the king of Judah. And that wasn't the end goal. Sometimes if we get way too focused on what we think is the destination, we lose sight of the fact that God has already taken us where we're supposed to arrive. So we have to make sure that, that yes, we have faith, we keep our eyes focused on God, but we don't lose sight of where we are in the moment. Man, God is good. Okay, so the next part of this, David becomes king, he has his job, the next part is that he's got to go off to Jerusalem. And, and I, I have to remind us, so Jerusalem is famous for these walls, right? And they're pretty big walls. Uh, and I don't know we all come from different generations, so some of you may remember Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Some of you guys might remember Veggie Tales and the walls of Jericho. Either way, it's the same annoying little Frenchman on top of the wall going, Oh no! Your mother is a hamster! Your father is a... Oh goodness, what is it? Elderberry, that's what it is. Yeah. Right? So that is very much the, the snooty vibe that, that they're given on top of this wall. When King David comes a march in verse 6, the king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, You will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. They thought, David can't get in here, little pickle. No, they didn't say that. But, but they said David can't get in here, right? And they were con very confident. What an insult to say that the blind and lame can ward you off. They were getting ready to roll out their, like, beach chairs, prop their feet up, put their hands behind their back, and they said, we're not moving, we're not opening our eyes, you can come on in, and we're still going to win. And, and honestly, David agreed with them because he knew he wasn't going through the wall. Nevertheless, it says in verse 7, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is the city of David. So the money question is, how'd he do it? How'd he do it? And it answers it right there in the next verse. On that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That's why they say the blind and lame will not enter the palace. Okay, so that water source I was mentioning before, you may not know this, but underneath Jerusalem, even now, there is a network of tunnels, long winding series of like dozens of tunnels. Most of them lead to nowhere, maybe a little extra darkness, um, but there's one tunnel that connects from this spring that's outside the city walls, and it goes underneath, and there's a, a shaft, a, ta a little bit of a, a hole that they can drop in pails of water like they were going to the well, and so they get their water. Um, archaeologists think that they've discovered what that particular um, tunnel that is referred to here, they call it Warren Shaft, and I think we actually have a, a picture of it so you can kind of get a gauge of what it looks like. It is... Uh, not super big. Um, you can actually go there and visit it today. Well, no, those are the walls. Those are the walls. Yeah, there we go. So if you look at it, um, obviously the walkways are not there. There are fancy lights that are hidden underneath, but, but these are not like casual hiking mountains. These, these, this is a hard climb. And so what must have happened is David went in um, underneath where the water was. And I'm not sure how high it must have come up, but you'll see the water 
uh, it doesn't have to come that high because they're carrying armor and leather and weapons. So either way, it's a very sad, full of misery kind of a walk. And so they're going to walk through these tunnels and they're going to follow where the water goes. And it's not a clear path. It breaks off and it forks. And so there's a little bit of you know, wisdom, a little bit of, of insight, a little bit of, of determination and faith as they navigate it. They get through the watery parts of it and, and they get to that part where they try to scale it. And you can see the entrance, the entrance of this little tunnel is not very big, right? About like two, maybe three people at most can squeeze through there. So they are going through wet, tired. They have to do this all in stealth. So they can't have a whole lot of additional light. It's, it's got to be dark. It's got to be pretty quiet. Um, and they squeeze out. This is a little crazy. There's a reason that nobody else saw this coming. They thought that nobody else would be dumb enough to risk their lives working through these tunnels. But not David. The question I have to ask, and maybe you're like me, is really simple. Why? Right? Why do they have to go through the tunnels? Because it's interestingly enough, um, the walls of Jerusalem have a history of being knocked down. Do you guys know that? The, uh, the Babylonians are the first ones. They come, they destroy the walls, uh, and then Nehemiah is tasked with building them back up. The Romans come, destroy the walls. The Romans build them back up. An earthquake comes, destroy the walls. They build it back up. The Crusaders come, destroy the walls. They build it back up. So God's not attached to this particular wall too much, right? So why not just have a Jericho moment? And I don't want to play a guessing game with God's intentions, but what I do know is that David's not out of the fire. He's got people that are coming after him, and he knows it. The Philistines, the Malachites, all these enemies, they're hounding down David. What's the first thing he, do, he does as king after he takes up residence and names the city? Verse 9, David took up residence. He called the city of David. He built up the area around it from the terraces inward, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. God knew that David was going to need that wall because they were just in a whole lot of war. They don't have a, enough resources to build it from scratch. Um, so God had a plan that would put David where he needed to be at the right time, but also have the wall that he needed. And I think sometimes in our life, we see our walls and we pray, God, would you knock that wall down? Because it's in my way. God, make a way through that wall. And God says, you're going to need it because he sees God is providing for today and tomorrow. And so he, he knows what we need. And the alternative path isn't always glamorous, right? Sometimes it means we got to walk through the tunnel. It means we got to walk through the slime. We got to walk through the sludge. It's going to get dark. It's going to get scary. We're going to want to turn back because the light that we remember there was nice and warm. But we have to trudge on onwards because we have to hold on to that faith, right? I think that's why. David, in his boldness and his faith, he's known to do this. But this is also a test, a test of those Israelites. Are they really going to trust the man that God put up for them? Are they going to trust God to lead them to their victory? And of course they did. Now, you might think this is all going great for David. And if this was his resume, man, I would like to be the job interviewer on the other side of it. Hey, what are you doing today? And, and David comes in and he says, well... Uh, just so you know, I was the king. I united 12 tribes of Israel, and then I defeated an inconquerable city. So there's that. <laughs> He's got to be feeling pretty good, we would think, but not so with David. 
Up until this point, David's been using a lot of his own strength. He's been using his own reputation. He's been using his own relationships, his own wisdom. These are all things God gave him, sure. But, but he's been relying on David. And so there's, there's a part of him that has to wrestle with doubt. He is worried, hey, is God really in this? Or am I just forcing this to happen? There's part of him that's, uh, you know, a little bit scared, a little bit hesitant with that. And so I think what we see is that David combats that fear. He combats that doubt with humility. And so he's not so focused on himself as a king and building up his palace as great as he can be. He's worrying about the people. He's trying to serve those around him as best he can. And and we're going to see how God rewards him for that because God had that plan all the time. So word of David starts spreading around. He starts influencing the people around him, and it goes to the city called Tyre. If you remember Tyre, we talked about it uh, almost like a month ago. It's this city. It's in the middle of a lake, and so it's got water all around it. Another one of these cities that they thought, we cannot be touched. Uh, And so I don't know why the king did this. Maybe it was because he saw David's creativity, and he wanted to tip his hat to a friend. Um, Maybe it's because he saw this guy that went in, defeated an unconquerable city, and he said, hey, that's a good person to keep in my back pocket. But it says, verse 11, Now Hiram, king of Tyre, sent envoys to David, along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and he had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people, Israel. So did. God provides a supernatural miracle. This is actually something I think we, we hear a lot of in churches today, of, God, of the prayer request, God send, send the money, send the supplies, and we see it here where, where he provides to David in ways that David can't imagine. And it's this moment that David knows that he's walking with the Lord because he sees something beyond his own reason and beyond his own strength. And not that we can't use the things that God gave us God was working and providing for him the whole way because it was God that gave him the victory in battles. It was God that gave him the connections. It was God that opened up the walls of that city. And it was God that ultimately wound the tunnels just for David. Years and years before David existed, God put those tunnels into place for a reason. He put traps so other people wouldn't think of it first, right? He put the breadcrumbs of the water so that David would have a safe route into it. God was there the whole time providing for David. And he's got to feel pretty great. And this is the point that he's, he's kind of rocking it out. He's got the chips stacked in his favor in some ways, but we know who stacked them. But we're not done yet. Because David isn't perfect. He's just like us. He's human. When we build things in God's plan, when we're working with God, because God's doing the heavy lifting, how can we fail? We're, we're set up to succeed, right? But, but when we start turning and we start trying to figure things out for ourselves, we start veering from the path. And we see that in David. We know David's got a sin. David's got a temptation. He's got a problem with women. And in the last city that he was living at, he had six wives. Each of them, he had one kid. It says here, as after he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem and more sons and daughters were born to him. His family's getting messy. It's getting big and there's going to be conflict. There's going to be pain. And what's going to happen is that 
David's going to make mistakes and his family is going to be the one that has to bear the, the guilt. They have to bear a weight and there's going to be loss. There's going to be grief. There's going to be pain. There's going to be death all because of David. At the same time that he's living out this great kingdom and building amazing things for the Lord, he's failing. And I think sometimes we have this idea that we have to be perfect, that we have to step all the right ways, but, but we're not. And that's okay, thankfully. Thankfully, we had somebody that went before. We do have one true king because there's one king that really matters. And when Jesus came, he not only like, had the perfect life. He navigated every single season, the same seasons that we face today, seasons of waiting, seasons of, of wartime, seasons of hurt, seasons of pain, seasons of joy and celebration. Jesus walked through those and he set the example of what perfect life is supposed to be. And it's because of him that we have a future and we can keep our heads held high even when we're struggling. We gotta keep focusing on the things that we're building. In the middle of, of the seeds that are planted, the division of the family opens up a hole, right? And it's because of that, that that we see a hero rise up, one that can pass David, because David has some pretty big shoes to fill. And it lists a couple of names here at the end of these children that are born to him, Jerusalem, and one of them sticks out just a little bit more than the others because we know what's going to happen. Otherwise, we would have closed the Bible and, and kind of moved on because it would have just blurred into everybody else. But God still had a plan. God's plan was to use the one that no one else was looking for. In verse, 16, or verse 14, these are the names of the children born to him there. Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nephe, Japhia, Elishama, Eliada, and Eliphelet. He's not the oldest. He's not the youngest or the strongest. He's not even the wisest yet. That's going to come later. But God is using the situation and he is redeeming it. Even, Dave, even though David's messing up, even though David is failing time and time again, it is, it is how God is changing the situation and empowering Solomon to have a stance that he's going to take the throne, not only take the throne, he's going to push it a little bit further to the next generation, and he's going to rise up above it. What a perfect message for our seniors, right? Our seniors that, quite frankly, they're, they're getting a, a gauntlet handed down to them, and, and you guys... We need you. We need you to step up. Next-gen ministry, we've been praying for you guys. We're, 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 we're on your side, and even though you're going to graduate, and we know you're going to get busy, we're still in your corner. We're still here praying for you. We're here, still here supporting you because ultimately, God's got a calling for your life that's going to change the whole game in ways that we can't imagine. So I'm thankful. I'm thankful for the days that we feel like David, but, but I'm thankful for the days that, quite frankly, we're more so in the tunnels. I think we're in those days a lot more than we feel like the winning David. And, and so as, as we close today, I want to invite our prayer team, if you want to come up to the stage um, as we open the altars, I know that there are those of us that, that are feeling tired of waiting, right? We're feeling the pain and not necessarily seeing the end of the tunnel. Or we're intimidated by the wall that we don't want to take the first step. Well, can I just encourage you, 
today is a great day to take the first step. If this is new to you, if, if there's something that just hits you the right way and you're, you're realizing that you need to get right with God, today is the perfect day to do it. There's no better time because it's that first step that then allows you to make it through the rest of the tunnel. It may be scary, I know. There may be a little bit of growing pains that come with it, but man, does it change your life. For those of us who are waiting, I don't know if you're in a season of wilderness, if you're in a season of preparation, I don't know if you're in a season of hurt, but, but, but God has got a plan. And, and sometimes, yes, he's saying not yet, but sometimes he's saying you're doing all the right things. You just gotta keep going. So don't give up. If you have something that you feel like is heavy that, that you're tired of holding, would you just give it before God during this time of worship? Would we just come together as a body and, and search our hearts for the things that we may be building for God's kingdom, but there also might be areas of our life that, that we're not, and they've taken a detour, and we need to fix that path before it wrecks everything. It doesn't happen the next day. There's a little bit of a time because, quite frankly, we know that foundations are the things that sink the whole building, and the devil's tricky because he knows he can build it up, and he knows it's going to come collapsing down. So we got to fix it right away, and we got to bring God into the space, or else it's not going to get better. It's not. So stop hiding. Can we go before the Lord today, Father? We're encouraged by today's talk. Be sure to rate us, share with a friend, and hit subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you stream your podcasts. Our mission is simple. Come to life, connect to grow, find your purpose, make a difference. Thanks for listening to the Life Church Podcast.